You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, this morning we learn about the Christian faith and its two marks, the two ways that you can see it, uh, by its humility and by its trust. Now, I don't mean uh, humility and trust in any sort of, uh, I don't know, absolute or abstract sense, as if it's merely possessing these virtues uh, that would make you a Christian. I mean humility with regards one's person and the world in which he lives. Uh, I mean humility that is a renouncement of everything that you are and everything in the world that would tug at your heart for worship and honor and praise. I also mean trust in Christ, the total and the complete confidence that by His Word alone we are saved from sin and death. Now, unlike popular conceptions of what a person of faith must look like, I suppose that's a, a, a person who has achieved some kind of transcendent peace through mystical experiences. It's funny, you know, whenever they talk about uh, the persons of faith, how they always lump together religious people, right? And then among those religious people, they're all people of faith, as if they all possess the faith that actually saves. That's not true. Jesus holds before us two Christians, two people with faith that is trust in him. And he would have us see in the leper and in the centurion a reflection of ourselves. And by hearing their, confes their confession of, of humility and trust, we are strengthened to be like them, so that, so that with them we would enjoy the benefits of faith and forgiveness and eternal life. Before we get into the topic of faith, though, I think that it would be good for us to say a couple of things about miracles. You know, why does Jesus perform miracles and what we should learn from them? I often find that, especially among pastors, <laughs> when it comes up, uh, you know, when the time comes up for them to preach on a miracle, they all get nervous and a little bit embarrassed. There's a couple of reasons for this. It's probably because uh, uh, even though, you know, when you preach a parable... Uh, you preach about something that happened and then it's over, right? It happened in the past, but what does it mean for us? Does it mean that you are going to have your cancer cured tomorrow? Does it mean that your macular degeneration will go away in three weeks? No. So why do miracles matter? If anything, if you look at the lives of Christians, they look to be as mundane and ordinary as the lives of anybody else, if not more so. Then when we think about miracles even more, we start to get nervous. We think to ourselves, well, what will happen when the world comes up to me and asks me for some kind of proof for my faith? Will I be able to point to Bob, who's had his flu cured by a miracle? Or maybe uh, to Sue over there, you know, who's had her sight restored or something? Worst of all, we're afraid of those people who would come to us, who would point at us and would say, you, people who call yourselves Christians... You lack miracles. Do you know what that means? It means that you lack the Holy Spirit and that you are not saved, that in fact your faith is meaningless. It's kind of funny. I think that the devil would prefer for us to think 
that if we are really saved, if we are truly a Christian, if we actually have faith, that would always be accompanied by some sort of grand and fantastic sign that would make headlines throughout the world, right? He wants us to think that unless some sort of manifest uh, uh, work accompanies our Christian baptism, that we should go on the, the lookout for another God. He wants you to doubt that Miracles were actually a thing to begin with, that they're actually historical, that perhaps they're just myths, that perhaps when we read about the miracles in Holy Scriptures, we would be better served by looking for something that's more immediately fulfilling for our souls. We should pray that the Lord keep us from such thoughts. The Holy Spirit has recorded the miracles of Jesus not to frustrate us, but to instruct us and to comfort us. We're instructed when we see Jesus' absolute command of creation. The world is full of illusionists and and men and women who dabble in the occult. Uh, They can warp appearances, and they can also inflict demons on other people. But they cannot create or restore creation or redeem what has been corrupted by sin. Jesus can. That's because his miracles are not magic. They are the works of God who alone can create, uphold, and redeem. In both of the miracles that you heard about in our gospel lesson, Jesus didn't have to petition his Father for the miracle to happen. In fact, he performed, he performed these works by his own power and by his own authority. These are the miracles that prove that Jesus is true God. And that which he does outwardly to the bodies of of the leprous Jew and also to the centurion's servant, so he can do also inwardly for us in our souls by giving spiritual life where once there was only death. And terror. It's true that many of us haven't seen a miracle, but I don't think I would ever discount the possibility of a miracle happening among us. But I won't promise them either. And that's fine. I don't have to. Because we have something that's more sure. The prophetic word. And this is how Jesus promises to work among us today. We have the testimony of His miracles, so that by hearing about them, we would have faith in His name and life in His name. And this is good. Because instead of deluding ourselves into thinking that we uh, have obtained faith intellectually, you know, by having it proven to us, by seeing it with our eyes, now we know that our faith is truly worked and made and kept secure by God Himself who through hearing this word does something miraculous within our hearts. I've spent enough time talking about miracles. Pastor Wolfmuller will probably talk about them next week when he talks about Jesus calming the sea. And so we should think about also now, especially about faith. Now, notice that there are two men who come to Jesus. One is a Jew, the other is a Gentile. But it doesn't matter because both are Christians and members of the Christian church, and your fellow saints. How do you know this? By their humility. 
The leprous Jew has despaired of his own will. That's why he falls on his knees before Jesus and prays, just as you pray every day when you pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done. I want you especially to notice how this man doesn't come to Jesus in any sort of arrogance, asserting that uh, he didn't deserve to be stricken with a rotting body. He doesn't come to Jesus crying out in anger and frustration because some sort of great injustice has been done to him. Instead, this man has learned the incredible Christian art of bearing his affliction, his cross, with faith. That is, recognizing his affliction as coming from God's loving hand. This leprous man has learned that in the same way as God has given, so also, if he wills it, he can also take away. When the leper comes before Jesus and falls on his knees, he is saying that I am powerless in this matter. He says that God in his wisdom has given me this cross. But he has also sent me Jesus, to whom I can pray. I will go to him, and I will beg him for mercy. This is the humility that drives the man to Jesus. You can almost see it, right? In your mind's eyes, the crowd pulls back in revulsion as a leper comes through their midst and comes up to Jesus. He kneels to Jesus from the purity of faith. And he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This is not some kind of ultimatum. That if you make me clean, then I will believe. No, there is faith there from the start. And that is the faith that saves. To prove that this is the kind of faith that Jesus wants from his saints. This kind of humility. Jesus says, I will be clean. What is even more incredible, though, is the centurion. Now, this guy is either a a Roman soldier or perhaps even a foreigner who was under the employ of Herod. Uh, This man who comes forward and appeals to Jesus, not as a great man, not as a religious guru or some kind of teacher, but in fact implores him as he would implore God and his Savior. When Jesus says that he will come to hear the centurion's servant, the man stops him and he says, No, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Remember that this is a man who is used to being, uh, receiving honor and respect from other people. His office as a centurion demands it. But before Jesus, he counts himself nothing, as nothing. He is merely a sinner. He is worthless. He doesn't demand his servant's health as if it's his servant's right. Instead, he begs purely on the basis of Jesus' mercy. Dear saints, this is always how we should come to our Lord in faith. The devil will always try to work it into our hearts that God owes us something that there is some some shred of dignity within us that demands God's goodness and His love. But that is to ignore our sin and the condemnation of God against us because of our sin. 
true faith hears the preaching of the law, it doesn't say, well, that might be for somebody else, but always says, amen, this is for me. The law accuses, and I stand condemned. This is what we do every morning when we come together and confess our sins, right? When we say, I, a poor, miserable sinner. But faith is always more than just saying and and repeating how worthless we are before God's judgment throne. In fact, it is the opposite of despair because it trusts in Christ and His Word. For the leper, the trust of faith is proven when he confesses that Jesus has authority and dominion to take away his affliction. For the centurion, he says, Only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, Go, and he goes. And to another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, Do this, and he does it. So great a Lord and a Savior does the centurion think of Jesus that he confesses that the words that come from this man's lips carry the weight and the authority and the power of God. You can understand his analogy. As a great military leader, his word also carries a kind of weight. He speaks and his soldiers go and do and fight. But then the centurion says, How much more so, Lord, for you? When you speak, sins are forgiven. When you speak, corruption gives way to recreation and death to life. The centurion proves himself to be a Christian because he doesn't have to see Jesus make the journey to his servant. The centurion is proven to be a Christian when he says, Lord, it is enough that I hear your word that I may believe it. To be a member of Christ's body and to rest securely in his church has nothing to do, as these two men have taught us, with the, I don't know, the background that you have, your lineage according to the flesh, and your associations that you might have. It has everything to do with humility in yourself, in this world, and total and complete trust in God's word. I want you to think about this. When the Lord says, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith, it's like the Lord was saying to us, See, I have found an Arab living in the middle of Syria who has more and greater faith than all of the people who attend American evangelical churches in the Bible Belt. That's because our Christianity... And who we are in the Christian church has nothing to do with a name on a roster. It has nothing to do with, you know, the kind of signs that hang outside of buildings that say Christian on it. But it has everything to do with the word of Jesus and faith in that word. Word and trust. These are the foundations of, the, of Jesus' church. And where Jesus speaks as he does here this morning. He works to save souls from the torments of guilt and shame. And as he saved outwardly for those men who came to him, so he also saves you inwardly, who also come to Jesus today. 
because you know you are a sinner. And because you trust in what the Bible says, that in Jesus there is forgiveness in life. This is why we draw near to Him. And when Jesus says, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, know that our Lord is speaking about you. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.